Welcome back to episode seven of the Training Model Podcast. Thank you very much for checking out this episode. If you're new here, I would recommend going back to the start. A lot of these conversations are just going to be contextual and build on each other. Uh, With today's conversation, a little bit of a progression from episode number six. There was heaps of positive feedback from episode number six. So thank you very much to everybody that reached out. Again, it does G me up. Uh, I seem to be getting more and more every week, which is a really good feeling knowing that there's been a lot of value taken from these chats uh, that I'm having. So I really do appreciate everybody that's sharing it and reaching out. Uh, It does G me up. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about PRI actually, um, because I think a lot of people are confused with what PRI is, uh, and I can actually speak of it through through my experience and my journey in understanding and learning some of the core principles and foundational concepts that underpin PRI. Um, because I think a lot of people, I, I, obviously people talk about PRI and it's quite often sort of understood as it's like, oh, you do PRI, like you complete PRI, like oh, that person needs PRI or anything like that. And and PRI is not, it's not so much like a, the way that they teach it, it becomes a little bit algorithmic, which I don't really like. Uh, in, in, in saying that it's, all right, if you do some assessments and it, and it shows that this is the problem, that means that you need to do this, this, and this in this order and achieve this, this, and this result from a movement assessment. And then that means, or a screen, and then that means that you've like moved on to the next level and all of that sort of stuff. Like it can be a little bit algorithmic. And, and from that perspective, I can understand why some coaches think like, oh, you just need to do PRI and you'll improve your hip internal rotation or your depth or your pain or anything like that. But I think, and now that we've had the conversations around like models and what models are, again, just to recap, models are like a framework. They're, they're underpinned by principles, key principles. And those key principles and frameworks allow us to take on information and determine quickly what is necessary to action on and and then begin to give us a direction for those actions to take place with. So models are inherently wrong. They're not that we don't have all the information, but that's okay. We've never had all of the information to make accurate and productive decisions. And we never will have all the information needed to make the most accurate or the most productive decision. Models allow us to move forward productively with the information that we actually do have. And PRI is just another model. It's PRI stands for postural restoration institute it's an institute that teaches their model of human movement i think that they have gained a lot of success and uh sort of awareness within the industry for good reason i think that they do have some key principles that not many or if any other model way of thinking and conglomerates of brains and people thinking about these sort of things have come up with or sort of identified. Obviously, there's a lot of overlap between a bunch of different people within the industry. But I think, especially for myself, when I I think of the people that have impacted my understanding of human movement and all of that sort of stuff, there is a common thread that quite often goes back towards PRI in some capacity. Uh, I first learned through uh, Miguel when I was at 
Cressy Sports Performance, and then obviously through Eric Cressy, who was probably one of the first people to bring it across into the strength and conditioning world. That was my first exposure to it. Uh, Eventually, I started to do some of the online stuff, and then Charlie and myself and Trent uh, uh, Pirahi around the corner, um, we all went to, I think it was Wollongong, in 2016 when I got back from America and we undertook two in-person courses back-to-back weekends. Like we flew up on the Friday, did the course Saturday, Sunday, came back on the Monday, worked all week, flew back on the Saturday, back-to-back courses and then flew back on the Monday again. Like it it was pretty crazy. We invested a lot of money from a business perspective, but it was really interesting information. And again, PRI fundamentally underpins a lot of my understanding of how the human system moves through gait and through breathing and how the breathing influences things and a lot of the axial skeleton and appendicular skeleton discussions all really just come back to the key concepts and principles that I learnt through PRI. So, um, yeah, PRI, it is a model. That's the first thing that we need to understand. I think that's where the first sort of... um, error in trying to learn and determine how to use PRI comes from. The second error is that people believe that these PRI drills, so all of these low level, and and this is now the progression of where I think the downfall of PRI comes in, but a lot of people think that these low level drills, these breathing drills, 90-90 hip lifts, these little reaching patterns and all of this sort of stuff is inherently going to change the way the human system operates under load, which it just, from our experience and my experience dealing with very strong people over the last six or seven years, like it just doesn't work in the way that you want it to work when you have incredibly strong people who lift incredibly large loads. Yes, we could probably make some very quick adjustments to ranges of motions at the hips and the shoulders and and the ankles uh, for table tests and very like before and after type of things. But when we actually want to get into like training under load, high forces, high velocity, high volumes, high frequencies, high intensities, and all of that sort of stuff, these low level drills, they just have a very quick expiration date. And the discussion today and what I wanted to discuss is how I think a better conversation around PRI can be had. Uh, And if you are interested in learning uh, and, and developing sort of your understanding of the PRI principles, how that can actually be productive for a strength coach, not a rehabilitation professional, not someone just trying to do a party trick and show someone gaining 30 degrees of internal rotation at the glenohumeral joint or anything like that. It's how do we use these principles to actually get good application for strength trainers and coaches. So the first thing that we need to understand is that for the most part, Everything lives on a continuum of load. And last week we discussed what load is. So please go back and check out episode number six if you haven't already. But everything lives on a continuum of load. And at one end of the load spectrum, we have very uh, low level drills. This is where PRI kind of lives. I'm not saying that PRI is easy. All I'm saying is that it is more often than not unloaded. We're down on the ground. We're on a bench. We're just 
side-lying and doing all of that sort of stuff. It's isometric, so there's no real movement occurring other than breathing or an isometric contraction on one side or whatever you might be doing. Uh, it's unloaded. We're not actually... We don't have external load applied to the system. Again, we're down on the ground. We're just using gravity as our load. So it's isometric, it's unloaded, um, and it's low level just across the board. And that and that is at just one end of the spectrum. And we could take a, an example of, of a lift like a 90-90 hip lift. So for those who haven't done a 90-90 hip lift, you can just YouTube it. I think we're the first thing that pops up, which is pretty cool. Thank you very much, YouTube algorithm. But... If you just dig your heels into a box, you're lying on the ground, you dig your heels into a box and you're just trying to like posteriorly tilt your pelvis a little bit. We're trying to engage sort of like hamstrings to to control the pelvis. And then from there, we're just sort of doing breathing drills. I think they call it a 90-90 hemi lift. Um, you're not really like posteriorly tilting your pelvis. You're kind of just rolling um, the sacrum flat to the ground, if that makes sense. I guess it is a, a posterior tilt, but um, and then it's just a slight lifting of the pelvis off the gro- off the ground. So you sort of roll it back and then lift it up just a little bit. And we should have hamstrings on, and we should have abs on. And that's the key thing that I took from some of the PRI stuff is that there's this connection of muscles that, and this is how I view it now, that shift the center of mass back. So the hamstrings and the abs have the best line of pull to control and posteriorly tilt a pelvis, which means they have the best line of pull to shift the center of mass backwards. Your glutes can posteriorly tilt your pelvis. However, they don't actually pull the system back in space. Glutes push forward in space. They drive the center of mass forward in space. They extend the hip and push the system forward, whereas hamstrings, with their vertical line of pull on the ischial tuberosity, they just rotate and pull the pelvis back into a posterior pelvic tilt alongside with the abs on the front. So in a 90-90 hip lift, We're engaging our hamstrings. We're engaging some of that anterior core. And then we're just going through some breathing drills there. Um, Then there will be a whole bunch of different variations with arm positions, depending on are we trying to expand the right side, the left side? Are we trying to drive air back of the thorax or air to the front of the thorax? Like depending on what we're trying to do will depend on what we're doing with our arms. But for the most part, we're just learning to reorient the pelvis with hamstrings and abs and breathe there and get used to it. That's at one very end of the load continuum. If we then take the same principle, and this is why I think being principle-driven is the most important thing for a young coach, but if we take that same principle, all right, the 90-90 hip lift is trying to get people to better orient their pelvis so that we can hold it back in space and allow the prime movers to then go and do their job. In the isometric position, we've clocked that, we're feeling what we need to feel, and we're we're taking those sort of uh, awarenesses Awareness is not the right word. We're taking those those sort of somatic feelings and we need to progress that up. So what might that look like? It might look like just some basic core-based drills where we're now actually asking the system to move some load. So it could be in a standing position. It could be in half kneeling position. It could be down on the floor in like a dead dead bug or a plank. But again, we're looking for that hamstring and ab connection to reorient the pelvis to allow the prime movers to actually drive the system forward, to produce force and to drive the center of mass forward or to push down into the ground and internally rotate down into the ground. So 
All of that stuff can only happen if the center of mass is being held backwards. And if the center of mass is being held backwards, we need the hamstrings and abs to con be controlling that. So we move to some core-based drills. We increase the load on the system. We increase the range of motion on the system. We increase the um, external load on the system. We increase the range of motion, the movement, all of that sort of stuff. Then we could take it a step further. All right. My goal is to keep the center of mass back so that the prime movers can push the system forward and produce force. What do we need to do in a standing position? This now looks like, all right, I'm going to add a heel wedge. I'm going to take those same feelings from the ground in planks and dead bugs and core based drills of holding the center of mass back with abs and hamstrings. And I'm now going to apply it to a squat. I'm going to add a heel wedge because the heel wedge pushes us forward in space, meaning we can shift back. And now that I have an awareness of hamstrings and abs, I can shift back in space. And all of a sudden, a squat becomes a PR driven movement in a standing posture it might look like an anterior load because the anterior load drives us back it might look like a goblet squat a zercher squat or anything like that all of these things with the principle being understood around center of mass around controlling it with hamstrings and abs keeping the center of mass back so we can push with the prime movers and actually generate force forward or down into the ground that is what actually drives the principle-driven coaching strategy. It's not that you're applying PRI. It's that you're applying the key principle that PRI, or one of the key principles that PRI teaches in a productive way that actually looks like training. That's the core thing with so much of this uh, principle-driven the same with like BPS. Like I know we discussed the BPS model heaps last week in episode five, maybe. Now I'm starting to lose it. But the BPS is the same. You don't just you don't just all of a sudden just be like, oh, I understand BPS and start using it. It's just like that's just not how it works. This BPS now colors every single sort of thought and conversation within your brain and it helps you make decisions, productive decisions to move forward with when communicating, when building narratives, when modifying programs and all of that conversational stuff that we have with clients. PR, um, sorry, BPS just becomes part of that conversation. And this is why I don't think that the conversation around PRI needs to be that, oh, this person needs PRI or can you teach me PRI? It's not that. It's what are the key principles that underpin PRI? And then how can I use those productively in different areas of my coaching and programming to get the best movement quality, to get the best loadability, to get the best function out of my clients and the program that we're actually producing. So that would just be one example of the progression of this center of mass sort of conversation. Again, it is a key principle that I took from PRI. They don't discuss it as much from center of mass, um, but that's how I sort of framed it and, and what I took from it. When, I, when they're telling me to reorient a pelvis over to the left stance and all of that sort of stuff and, and, and shift the pelvis and the uh, adductor, what's it called? The ischio, ischiocondylar adductor, uh, head of the adductor magnus that's a big muscle that they talk about or a big portion of a muscle that they talk about in pri but shifting this shifting the pelvis across to left stance 
reorienting the pelvis backwards, getting away from like the PEC and the ally, uh, left AIC patterns and all of that sort of stuff. The more that I went through it, the more that I just realized these guys are just talking about reorienting center of mass. We're trying to move the pelvis across to the left stance. We're trying to shift the center of mass over to the left side because it's right-sided dominance as a result of all of the internal organs and all of that sort of stuff. But shifting that center of mass over to the left side, how do we do that? What muscles both push the center of mass from right to left and then what what muscles control and can hold that on the left side and then reorienting the pelvis re- shifting the center of mass back opening up the backside the posterior thorax all of that sort of stuff to me made the most sense when i thought about it from a center of mass perspective and that's why now center of mass is one of my key principles that i have within my movement model and it's also why it is my first uh, training related uh, webinar that I'm running through training model. And it is this Friday at 2 p.m. So it's the last week for you to jump into my understanding center of mass uh, conversation webinar. It's $59. Uh, I've, I think we, we had a big spike last week. I think we're closing in on about 25 coaches being in there, which is awesome. So thank you very much to everybody that has already purchased a ticket. But my Understanding Center of Mass webinar is this Friday. We're going to discuss some PRI stuff. We're going to discuss some programming related stuff. We're going to discuss some techniques and mobility, a whole bunch of different things and how it all sort of relates back to the center of mass. So if you're keen on learning more and jumping in conversations with me around training and movement and biomechanics and all of this sort of stuff, I'd love to have you there. It, it will be one of the links down below. Uh, the, just a reminder, and that is that the center of mass webinar will not be sold after the fact. After the fact, it is going to become part of my next short course, which will be my coaching foundation short course. Um, So if you want uh, that sort of information, but you can't come to the webinar, you can simply purchase the ticket and then you'll get sent the link uh, to the recording, or you will then have to wait and purchase my coaching foundations course to get a lot of that sort of stuff come into your brain over the time. So yeah, understanding center of mass. I know it's going to be interesting for everybody that comes along, come and learn one of the key principles and how I apply that key principle uh, when I'm thinking and helping clients and members at the gym and helping coaches and all of that sort of stuff. So keen to see you there. So now moving on to the second conversation of today, which is comes in from Jesse and Jesse asked, what advice do you have for 18 year olds that want to get into the industry? Uh, so firstly, thank you very much for contributing to the podcast. As always, you can just simply shoot me a DM or there is a form on the website where you can ask a question or contribute to the podcast. So please check that out. But Jesse here, coming into the industry at 18. So if you're a young person looking to get into the coaching industry, the health and health and fitness, personal training industry, I actually made a few notes here because I wanted to cover some of this stuff in detail. But um, firstly, I love it. I love the fact that you're taking the jump uh, and getting into this industry. It is a tough little industry to crack. Uh, however, if you do get to the point where you can start to to make a steady wage and a steady income for yourself, it is an incredibly fulfilling and sort of rewarding industry to be part of. Uh, it is challenging though. So that will be the first thing. And it's the first note here. And that is just know that it's probably going to take you, like any career really, if you if you really want to set a career. When I think of a career, I think of something like 10, 10 plus years. But if you really want to build a career in, in this industry, just know that 
Uh, it's going to take you a couple of years to probably get to a point where you are actually comfortable. Um, the fact that you are so young, I'm assuming you're still living at home, uh, will make it a little bit easier for yourself because in the initial maybe 12, 18, 24 months, uh, consistent and steady income can be difficult to come by. Um, and I just want you to know that if you are struggling in those first few years or even just any any point, in, in it, it ebbs and flows. It always ebbs and flows. Um, but if you are struggling, it's you're not alone. There are a lot of people out there that like to tell you that you should be making six figures and this and that and doing this and it's fucking easy to find clients and all of that sort of stuff like the harsh reality is i've never come across a business that isn't uh struggling in some capacity uh throughout the years over the, over time like everybody again it ebbs and flows and it's no different for a new person coming in you're not alone if you're feeling those ways uh, it is a challenging industry just continue to move forward continue to identify the areas that you need to focus on and, and move forward with and go after those things relentlessly just do not give up just continue to move forward it is one of the most important lessons lessons, the sort of um, the grit, I guess is what it would be called, uh, the the tenacity, the it's, it's sort of just like un, unrelent, relentlessness. That's what it is. It's just relentless pursuit of continuing to move forward more than anything else. You're not even chasing a goal. You're just continually moving forward. You need that sort of feeling and emotion uh, initially. I, I, I really do believe. That would be the first thing. So if you are just getting started and you're struggling, you're not alone. There are other people out there feeling the same. It's just that people don't really like to share their struggles so much. So if you, if you do want to chat, please reach out. Uh, and I'll tell you about some of the times where I've really been struggling uh, myself. So that would be the first thing. The second one would be that uh, I would recommend one of the first one of the first investments that you should make uh, for yourself is to hire a coach, join a community, um, and and just be part of something that's bigger than just the the gym that you're working at, if that makes sense. Like it's not so much that uh, you might hire a coach at the gym. If you're at a big chain gym, there might be a coach there that you respect and that you want to learn from. But I think going and, and joining a community in some capacity, finding, uh, so the, the one that's like, there's a reason that I have this here, but it's strength culture. Like if, if you have the potential to join a gym similar to strength culture and to hire a coach similar to the coaches that we have here at strength culture, I can only guarantee that it will fast track your progression and your sort of view of what is what is available for you in the industry. And, and the reason that I have this as my second dot point is because this was me. When I was 20, 21, and I was struggling, yeah, I, I was probably making... 40 to 50 grand a year. A lot of it was cash. Don't tell the fucking tax man, but I was probably making 40 to 50 grand a year when I was like 19, 20. Um, I started making a little bit more when I was 21, but for the most part, like I, I was working at this small studio and the people at the small studio were fantastic, but being there and working there, it, it kind of it kind of closed me off to what the potential was in the industry. And it wasn't until I went to Woodford, WSSC, and I went down there with my book of questions and asked Woody a bunch of questions and then hired JP Kauke and 
got into training there with barbells and, and meeting the coaches there and Jared Kay and Jay Alice and Nick Russell and all of these people that were around there. It wasn't until that point for myself within my career development did I really start to think about, holy shit, look at all this fucking awesome stuff that can happen when, with the right amount of networking and the right sort of understanding of training and programming and movement and anatomy and physiology and all of this sort of stuff. It wasn't until I was in a situation like that um, until I really saw what the potential for myself was. And that then led to a bunch of opportunities with strength and conditioning for me, working at VFL, working at AFL, then eventually going over to America, working at Cressy Sports or interning at Cressy Sports Performance for six months and and then coming back and starting my gym and starting my journey and building my team and all of that. Like all of that started when I made the decision to take the step out and invest in joining a community. It's not as much as just hiring an online coach like yeah the on and this is another dot point that i have here like the online world is awesome and you can meet some fantastic people in the online space but nothing beats in-person mentoring like it just doesn't you can't get away from it when you're in it i I think about it like you're in an oven when you're in that oven of development and people are around you and you're watching and observing and you're learning and you can ask questions and you can feel things and all of that sort of stuff that is where development happens development can happen online but it's it's like 80 percent of what the potential for development in person can be so um my second dot point so number one is just know that the first few years are hard and those hard times don't just magically disappear. They will continue to rise and ebb and flow throughout your development. The second thing is that you should, I think, invest in a coach or a community or something where the type of people that you want to be around are around and you can be part of that and, and and join that process and and get some of that in person sort of feeling throughout uh, throughout your initial development years and and I will put this out there if you are a young coach listening to this and you are around the area of strength culture and you want to join up you want to join up with one of our coaches you want to be part of the things that we do here and be part and come to the come to shifts and all of that. All you have to do is reach out. We are more than happy to help you. We offer discounts for junior rates, for coaching. We we want young young up-and-coming coaches to be part of our, our community here. They're, they're some of our favorite people to work with. So uh, if you are in the area, if you've never been down here, just come down, come to a session, come, hit, come on one of the coach shifts, come shadow a shift, come and whatever you want to do, just come down. We're happy to help and we, 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 we want you to be part of our community because we know how beneficial it can be, especially in those early years of your development. So... Um, That's my second point. Hire a coach and join a community. Invest in yourself. The third point for a young person coming into the industry is, um, and and, and this is actually something that I have changed my mind on only recently, probably in the last 12 months. But obviously online coaching is the, it's sort of like the laptop lifestyle that a lot of people are looking for. And, And I think that, a lot of people get into the industry for coaching because of that flexibility and that you can you can ultimately just work from your laptop at a cafe, take a nice aesthetic picture with your mocha and all of that sort of shit. But the, for the most part, um, 
and it, it took me a little bit of a reflection and some of the struggles that we've been going through over the last sort of 12 months within within business and and, and, and that I'm going through has been like um, just how important like the in-person coaching experience is i think the in-person coaching experience has significantly higher retention rates because you can actually build connection with clients um so for a young coach coming in i know that the laptop lifestyle might be appealing to you and, and something that you want to sort of move in the direction of and that's fantastic but i don't think that you can skip the in-person coaching process and i think your first job slash jobs should be wherever you can get in-person face-to-face coaching reps from uh, because I really do believe that that is the crux of what is happening uh, or sorry the, the crux of what this industry is it's in person it's community it's it's meeting people it's communicating it's it's sort of managing people face-to-face is the crux of what we do from a service perspective so I think Finding potential, finding a job, preferably to start with, rather than just going straight into working for yourself, but finding a job somewhere that allows you to do some gym floor shifts or, or manage the floor or meet meet people or take introduction sessions or whatever it might be. Even if the pay rate is really low, at least you've got a steady income and a stable, even if it's only like 300, 400 bucks a week, it doesn't really matter. As long as it's stable and it's consistent and you get coaching reps, that should be your first port of call before you dive in the deep end of working for yourself and all of that all of that because it is it is difficult. I think you probably need to develop your skill set first in the industry. So that would be my third point. Don't get sucked into the laps, laptop lifestyle and just working online. You probably need to be working um, face-to-face to start with, to develop your systems, to develop your programs, to develop your communication skills and all of that. And then finally, my fourth point is if you are just getting started and you've got some clients coming through and you're starting to build things out and you're starting to develop your business and all of that, I do recommend jumping in Business 101. Um, I'm going to plug this every single episode of this podcast, but Business 101 is all of the back-end business systems and structures that I wish I had when I started Strength Culture in 2016. We're nearing on eight years, which is wild, but um, if you're if you're, if you're a young coach and you're, you're just starting to get rolling and you want to build your business and build your systems and understand finance management, understand marketing and sales and retention and what should I be tracking and why should I be tracking certain data and how can that data inform my decisions to improve my retention, improve my longevity, all of that sort of stuff is... Uh, within the course. It's the foundations of of business. I'm not going to give you methods to grow and scale to six figures and all of that shit because I fundamentally think a lot of that stuff is just bullshit. It's just other marketers trying to... trying to make a quick buck off off of the the scarcity feeling that a, a young coach or a young business owner has. Whereas what my course is built for, it's to take the stress and anxiety away from actually building your business. And there are key frameworks and key foundational principles that need to be understood in order to for you to see success to move forward with. Uh, it's then up to you to start to action those principles and action those processes. But the good thing is there's like 26 or something homework tasks in the, class, uh, in the course that I'm actually going through 
uh, online, obviously, but I'm going through and helping you actually build those things into your business. So if you're interested in, if you're a young coach, just getting started, just just starting to get rolling, I w- would recommend setting up the, your business back in with some stability. And I think Business 101 is going to be one of the best places for you to start that. It's everything that I wish I had uh, seven or eight years ago now. Um, and I, I just, uh, I could only imagine the position that we'd actually be in if, if I had that stuff initially. But you got to go through those shit patches to get to the better patches. I'm not going to say good patches, but I'll say better patches. So um, yeah, that's my advice and tips for a young coach. I think this episode is probably going to be one of the shorter ones, but that's all right. Uh, Aiming for about 30 minutes every time. So thank you very much for checking out the Training Model Podcast. If you want a 10% discount or a $75 discount on Business 101, uh, you can use the, the... the code team meeting uh, to jump in there. Secondary to that, if you're interested in coming to my Understanding Center of Mass webinar, jump in. It is on Friday. Uh, Once it's run live, you cannot purchase a ticket. It will be gone and you will not get a recording. So this is your final week to jump in Understanding Center of Mass. It is linked in the bio, linked in the description, on the website, everywhere you need. If you have any questions, please reach out to me on Instagram. And also, if you are ever so kind, please share this podcast to somebody who may find value in this podcast. So uh, you can simply just tag me or tag the show on a a story reshare or simply just DM it to someone, Uh, a little bit more of a personal approach. Uh, Help me get the message out that the Training Model Podcast is here to stay. So episode seven in the books, we will check in next week for episode number eight. I think I've got one last question in the bank and then I'm probably going to really start pushing for more questions and contributions. So please reach out if you have any questions. Um, I'm also going to probably, in fact, I will uh, pre-record a few episodes for the start of next year and they're probably going to be guest spots um, to discuss some things with... Um, some some business owners and people that I'm I, I really find a lot of value in talking to and 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 learning from and discussing topics with. So, I'm going to chat to those over the the January period. So there will be some guest spots coming to the Training Model Podcast. But yeah, thank you very much. And also, if you're a young coach in the area, come down. We want to help you. Let's get something rolling, whether it's a gym membership, whether it's some coaching, whether it's some shadowing, whatever it might be, uh, we're here to help. We want to help young coaches. So please reach out and we'll see you next week.